This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you. Afternoons on News Talk 770. You can reach us at 403-974-8255, and we will have time for your calls and your text in this hour. So, as you've been hearing, high-stakes political drama in B.C. I mean, the future of the Trans Mountain Pipeline Project is but one of the issues in B.C., but certainly it's uh, of importance to the Prime Minister and to Premier Rachel Notley, and you heard what both had to say about all of this today. Now, here's what we know. Yesterday, the B.C. New Democrats and the B.C. Green Party announced that they had reached a deal that essentially the Greens would back an NDP minority government uh, and would back it for a set period of time. Now, that doesn't mean automatically that B.C. NDP leader John Horgan gets to be premier. Uh, Because we're talking about the narrowest of margins in the legislature. And we still don't know what the incumbent, Christy Clark, and her B.C. liberals are going to do. They can ignore all of this and try to govern anyway. They can wave the white flag and surrender and prepare for opposition. Uh, So there are a number of scenarios here. And things can get complicated a number of different ways. Joining us for the latest, very pleased to welcome the program, Vaughn Palmer, columnist with the Vancouver Sun, who's following all of this drama today. Vaughn, thanks for making some time for us. Good afternoon. I'm sitting here on the edge of my seat for the next bombshell. Yeah, no kidding. And who knows when that might come. Now, I believe... We're getting a briefing at 1 o'clock on what's in this agreement. Okay, so in about an hour from now, right? And then, uh, and, and that's embargoed. And then at two o'clock our time, we get uh, the, the public announcement. Uh, the two new leaders uh, were also expected to hear later this afternoon some sort of response from Premier Christy Clark. She's been meeting her caucus today as well in Vancouver. Okay, so what, why did they wait a day, by the way? We get the announcement yesterday from these two parties that they'd reached a deal, but another 24 hours before they can show everybody the deal. Uh, they had to have a meeting this morning where they showed all of their members what was in it, and then they have a signing ceremony because this thing is essentially a document that will be presented to the lieutenant governor as evidence that there is an agreement that has the support of a majority of members of the legislature. So this is kind of the official notification to her that there is a government in waiting if the premier resigns and uh, makes way for another government. Okay, so in terms of the options Christy Clark has, that would be one, to basically read the writing on the walls, say these two parties have more seats than we do, let's see how things go. Alternatively, I guess she could just ignore this and, and have a go anyway. Yeah, there's a, there is a certain consensus out there that the right way to do things, it, it, it's certainly not the, the impatient way to do things, but that the right way to do things is to, to, for the premier to announced she's going to call the legislature back in fairly short order mid-June and meet the legislature and bring in a throne speech and submit to the will of the House. And the will of the House with this agreement signed today is that she would be defeated in that preliminary vote in the legislature. Be call it a confidence motion, it would be a confidence motion. So, uh, And that then, once she's been shown to not have... Uh, to command the confidence of the House, she then resigns and goes to the lieutenant governor and says, I recommend that you call on uh, John Horgan to form the government because we've all seen this agreement he has that he commands a majority of the House. 
there is a you know sort of a wild card scenario where Clark asks for another election, but I don't think she'd get it if she loses the first vote in the House, and I think that's what would happen. Right. So if if Krista Clark thinks that the other parties would be afraid of forcing another election and they might back down, there there's it wouldn't be automatic, right? Even if, if a liberal government fell, these two parties would have a shot at governing, wouldn't they? Yes, yeah. I mean in our system if if you if you can command confidence of the House for a period of time, six months, nine months, then you are the government and if you're then defeated at the end of that six-month period or nine-month period, you can ask for another election, and in our system, you'll get one. But if you're defeated right at the beginning, if you're defeated in the first vote in the House, if it's been shown you don't have the confidence of the House, then you don't get to call another election. The, there is obviously another government there, and the lieutenant governor would, would say, okay, uh, you know, uh, you call the legislature back, uh, you go in there and you show me uh, what this document I have in front of me already suggests, which is that you have the confidence of the House. This document, by the way, is an unusual thing. We haven't seen it yet, but we understand it's actually a four-year agreement. Wow. And what the Greens have agreed to do is to support NDP budgets for four years. Well, the basic test of whether or not you have the confidence of the House is whether you can pass budgets, you can spend money. So it's quite a document. Now, you know, 44 to 43, that's the balance. <laughs> it's not easy to sustain that, but as I said, this thing is somewhat unusual. I've never seen one that goes this long right. before. Yeah, four years, no one's going to miss the ferry to Victoria. <laughs> that seems... Yeah, we're joking about you can't even get to take bathroom breaks, you know. We had we had a we had a case in the nineteen nineties where some guy went out for a sandwich and the government almost lost the vote because it was close there for a few years under the NDP. But in our system now it's generally understood that the government falls on a clear confidence vote. Mm-hmm. You can't get your budget through a motion of an explicit motion of non-confidence. A government can be hamstrung and embarrassed by losing a, a procedural vote or a vote on some issue, but the government doesn't fall on that kind of an issue. Right. The other wrinkle in all of this, though, is that somebody needs to sit as the speaker and yes. how they get that done, what role the speaker plays if there's a tie vote. So what do we know about that situation? Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, the speaker doesn't normally vote, but uh, he or she is the presiding officer of the legislature. And when there is a tie in a house, um, the, the speaker votes to break the tie. Well, this is going to be all ties, right? You know, 44, 43, you appoint one of your members a speaker. It's now 43, 43. So... Uh, and the and the most interesting, the second most interesting moment in the press conference with the two leaders yesterday was, do you have a speaker? They don't. They haven't. They haven't decided yet. Are they? Nothing. They were prepared to disclose. I gather what they're doing is sounding out some of the liberals to see if a liberal would be willing to take the job so they don't have to appoint one of their members. The other thing they're exploring is changing the procedural rules of the legislature so that. Uh, at least you could minimize the number of occasions on which there's a vote and showdowns and to ensure that 
those votes would always be organized so that the speaker would always be available to break ties. So uh, they're talking about changing the procedural rules as a backup. I think their first choice would be if they could persuade somebody from the other side to serve as speaker. I mean, it's a nice job, pays pretty well. The only problem is how long would the term last? I mean, it might, it might last four years, but it might equally last just a matter of a few months. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I don't know that the liberals are going to be looking to do these these parties any favors, but maybe it comes down to who can poach a defector, because that's, I think, essentially what it would be. And maybe the liberals yeah. have this this dream in their heads that maybe there's someone out there, one of these two parties, who might be tempted to, to defect the other way. Uh, there is uh, some speculation about that, although, you know, British Columbia is so polarized and has been for so long. If you were to cross to the other side, I mean, I'm not sure members of your own family would talk to you, never mind, oh, no you know, kidding. your constituents or anything else. It's, it's, it's a pretty tough province to cross the floor in. Yeah, it would be. All right, so we do know there's a briefing at the top of the hour and then another hour on top of that before you can talk about it all, but we don't know. Christy Clark hasn't called a news conference at, at this point yet. No, we haven't heard from her. I think she'll wait and see what's in this agreement this afternoon. Uh, we might hear a statement from her that, you know, she would have given all that more. Um, the, the, the Greens negotiated with both parties out here they, for a while, but they broke off negotiations with the Liberals on Sunday night, and they didn't go back. They decided to go with the NDP. So I think the Liberals will have some cause to say, well, you know, you never even saw our final offer, so clearly you, you didn't really negotiate thoroughly with us. You really were only going to go with the NDP. Did you, are they hoping that there's something in this agreement maybe they can point to and say, look, this is not legitimate, this is not what BC wanted, to try to cast some doubt on, on the whole idea? Well, I think what you probably more likely they'll do is you'll hear a statement from the Liberals, maybe even a throne speech uh, next month, that is kind of their manifesto for the next election. I mean, I think they're going to have to bow to the inevitable sooner or later, but I think you're already going to see them positioning for the next election. Uh, and as we say, I mean, it might be four years from now, but it might be, you know, eight or nine months from now. It's not... Uh, majority Minority governments in Canada tend to last about 18 months. And most minority governments in Canadian history have had a bigger margin of safety than one single vote. All right, fascinating stuff. More at VancouverSun.com. Vaughn, thanks for joining us here. Appreciate this. Oh, there'll be more. Oh, yeah, no kidding. All right, take care. Vaughn Palmer, columnist uh, for the Vancouver Sun, uh, watching the political drama unfold in his province. So, yeah, as he says, they're going to hold a briefing at the top of the hour on the contents of this arrangement, and then that will all be released publicly another hour later. But it's quite an ambitious document by the sounds of it, the idea that you can hold a one-seat razor-thin majority for four years. Well, good luck with that. But that's the idea here. The Greens have agreed to, to prop up an NDP minority government for a period of four years. So what do the Liberals do? What should they do? What is the public willing to tolerate? I mean, the B.C. Liberals have some leg to stand on in, in saying that we got the most votes, we got the most seats, why should the NDP get to govern? So they could try to make that argument, and maybe some people would see some logic in that. The problem is, though, you don't have the numbers. And if these two parties believe that they do, that they can govern, that they have a mandate to govern, well, then obviously they're going to move to do so at the earliest occasion. 
The Liberals would uh, table a throne speech. That would get voted down. A vote of non-confidence. There we go. So even if the B.C. Liberals try to govern, it might be pointless because the end would be coming rather soon. Interesting scenarios. And I guess in the process, maybe we're all learning a thing or two uh, about how our system works. So there you go. The more you know. 403-974-8255 is our number. We're back with more right after this. Welcome back, 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. So we'll see what unfolds in B.C. I mean, at this point, Christy Clark and her Liberal Party's uh, Liberal Party, they are the government. That's the thing. She's still the premier. They are still the government. So that's another interesting aspect of how our system works, that essentially in the face of an election, the government realizes that they've lost, they resign. Then the other party forms the government. So at this point, Christy Clark hasn't resigned. So she can go and say, look, I'm still the premier. Uh, We won more seats than the other parties, so, you know, we'll we'll govern as a minority. Or she can read the writing on the wall and say, okay, that's probably not going to work out very well. Let's just uh, sit back in opposition, let these guys screw things up, and we'll come back stronger. And the other thing is, from Christy Clark's perspective, which scenario, in which scenario does she have a future? If the liberals say that, look, we got more seats, Christy Clark's the premier, let's go for it. Then she stays on. I think if the B.C. liberals say, all right, these guys have a deal, they got the numbers, we'll sit in opposition for a while. I think at that point, you got to think the B.C. liberals decide it's time for somebody else, time to give someone else a shot. So if they concede the point here, if they let these other two parties have a crack at governing, I think Christy Clark's done. I think she's gone. I think the B.C. liberals go and find a new leader. So maybe from that perspective, she looks at it that way. Says, my only scenario here where I'm involved and I have a future is if we try to govern. I don't know if that will carry the day. I don't know what's going on in her her own mind, but a lot of interesting scenarios. I guess we'll maybe know more by the end of the day. Uh, All right, I wanted to play this for you. Andrew Scheer is the new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. He was on the radio with uh, my friend Danielle Smith this morning answering some questions uh, about uh, where we go from here, where the Conservative Party goes from here. So I wanted to play a few minutes uh, of what Andrew Scheer had to say, give you an opportunity to maybe get a sense of who this guy is, where he's coming from. This is, I think, an opportunity for Canadians now to get to know this guy. So here's a few minutes, uh, Andrew Scheer, on News Talk 770 this morning. Well, absolutely, it's a federal issue. It's a national issue. Uh, there's a reason why there's a national energy board, not ten different provincial energy boards. It's because these things have national impacts. And whether it's jobs in manufacturing sectors in Ontario, whether it's uh, natural resource jobs in Alberta, uh, heck, you know, you know, different types of construction jobs get, get built uh, in, in British Columbia and, and extra jobs at the terminal. So uh, we need to. What we're going to be pushing the Liberals to do is show Canadians what their strategy is to avoid exactly what you described, where the process becomes the punishment and the, and the process is used to basically kick the ball so far down the field that these companies go elsewhere. And we're seeing it. Look at what the United States has done with developing their LNG industry. While we've been, you know, while the provincial governments have been, you know, delaying and, and, and holding things up and radical groups are uh, preventing development, the United States has quietly become a world leader. They just signed a deal with China. Uh, 
uh, massive market that could have been Canada's if we had have got these types of projects built. Can you remind uh, our listeners of your Canada First policy when it came to energy? I know that you were talking about that at the same time as Prasad Panda was putting forward a similar motion in the provincial legislature. What would you do to try to get Canadians on board with buying Canadian energy products first? Well, absolutely. It was a key plank in my in my leadership campaign. Was I believe that we can push back on some of the voices on the left that try to shut these projects down by showing Canadians where their energy is coming from. And as you know, in in eastern Canada, the vast you know a huge percentage of energy is imported from countries like Saudi Arabia, the United States, Venezuela. And my plan was to first and foremost show consumers that. Let's. My plan was to put on the pumps uh, flags of the country where that energy was coming in from. And and the National Energy Board and StatsCan has all that data, and I, what, we need, what I wanted to do is create that consumer demand where, you know, if, if somebody in Toronto or Montreal was filling up their tank and they saw the flags of the country where that was coming in from, it would remind them that there are out-of-work Canadians in, the, in our energy sector. Um, there are projects on, on, uh, on deck to be approved. Let's get some support from, from hardworking Canadians to, to, to buy our energy from, from Canada and get Canadians back to work. Well, thank you for standing up for us. And I, I hope that you're able to press the, the Liberals to make sure that they just do not allow the uh, British Columbia government to be able to derail this. Hey, look, I wanted to tell you a little bit about what some of the academics in this province are saying about your leadership and just get you to respond to a few of the challenges that they think that you might face going forward, just so that we understand how you're going to deal with it. I, I, I played a few of your clips yesterday about some of your positions on carbon taxes, on fighting Islamic extremism, and and so forth. But you must know that the media has been kind of obsessed about what your personal stance is on social issues. I just want you to hear what David Terrace, who is a Mount Royal University professor, had to say about one of the challenges you face on this, and then get you to respond to it. And that's his big problem now, because... You know, the, the social conservatives are vocal, they're strong, they're the kingmaker, they want to be heard, and yet he knows that if he opens up abortion or he opens up gay marriage, uh, that will be extraordinarily toxic for the party. Hey, I agree with him, but you know what? I think you agree with him, too. Everything I heard you say, you uh, have no interest in opening up those hot-button social issues. C- can you just put that to bed once and for all? Sure. Well, I believe I have, but I'll, I'll try once again. You know, when I launched my campaign, I made it very clear that I would not reopen those debates. Uh, unity was a big theme of my leadership campaign, and uh, I will not bring up issues that will divide our own caucus, our own movement, and certainly uh, that uh, you know Canadians don't want uh, don't want to, to, to revisit. My goal is to find the common ground between different kinds of conservatives, and I would point out that I got uh, a, a high degree of second and third choices from other candidates like Michael Chong and Lisa Raitt, who were by no means on the social conservative part of the spectrum. Uh, you know, I, I, have, I have to keep every kind of conservative excited to be part of the party. There's a, they've always, you know, it's important to have a voice, and, and I'm very tolerant of a, a diversity of, of views on things. It's the liberals that are intolerant on any kind of diversity of opinion, but when it comes to putting things forward to Canadians as to what our government would look like or the issues we would tackle, I will not reopen uh, those issues. So once and for all, you, you heard it here, Uh, these issues will not be reopened under my leadership. No doubt you're aware of the trouble that Brad Wall, Premier Saskatchewan, is having getting back to balance budget and some of the shakiness he now sees in the polls. You want to get back into budget balance in two years at the federal level. How are you going to do that? Well, look, a huge chunk of new spending that the Liberals embarked upon after they formed government wasn't even spent in Canada. And then they've got a lot of waste here and there. You know, they had a line item in the budget, uh, $7 billion for 40,000 
childcare spaces. I believe, you know, I was, I'm, a, I'm a history major, but I believe that the math works out to, uh, you know, 175,000, I think, uh, uh, per childcare space. That, that, does that sound like good value for money? Uh, there's, there's a lot of areas in the budget where, where there is no benefit to hardworking Canadians. Uh, in addition, I am a big believer that when you get the fundamentals right for the economy, you make Canada more competitive, attract new investment, you can increase revenues because you've got that economic growth. So I am very confident that we can get back to balanced budgets, and I'm motivated because we're borrowing that money from my kids. I've got five kids, and as they get older and enter into the, the workforce, I don't want them to have to pay more and more money in taxes to pay the service charge on spending that happened before they were adults. All right, there you go. Andrew Scheer, new Conservative Party of Canada leader, on with Danielle Smith early this morning. Now, we'll talk a bit more about the future of the Conservative Party of Canada. We'll hear from Tim Moen, the leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada, coming up in a few minutes. Talk a bit about uh, his offer to Maxime Bernier and, you know, whether there's a place for libertarians within the Conservative Party. You know, another, another issue it, it raises, and maybe we'll talk more about it after 1.30, is whether conservatives are obligated to put aside any differences they have with the Conservative Party leader and get behind them. It's a debate happening around this south of the border, and some conservatives who have decided to get behind Donald Trump are calling out some of these never-Trump conservatives. Then you got to support the president. You got to support the Republican president. You got to get behind the general and fight the left. It's our side against their side. But aren't people allowed to assess politicians based on their own principles and decide whether or not they want to support them? I would think that that's how it's supposed to work. I don't think there's an obligation to, to support Andrew Scheer, even if you don't like Justin Trudeau and what he's doing. Does Andrew Scheer speak to your values? There's the question. Uh, something you mentioned in, in that interview, which I, I don't know if we want to go down this path. It seems like cheap populism, but it also seems like protectionism. This idea of putting flags on gas pumps. The Conservative Party of Canada fought for years against country of origin labeling in the United States, which they believed rightly would hurt Canada's beef industry. We went to bat for our industry to fight against those kinds of protectionist policies. Now, all of a sudden, we think it's going to be good for us. The conservatives are going to embrace this? That's a really, really, really bad idea, if you ask me. And it's that kind of hypocrisy that is going to hurt us as we try to gain more market access. Well, in countries like the United States, by the way, which is the number one source of oil or foreign oil imports, well beyond any other country. Because the United States, by a mile, Algeria, Saudi Arabia, Nigeria, Norway, Kazakhstan. So I, this is a silly idea, and it's going to come back to bite us. And I think we're compromising our principles because the conservative government is absolutely right to stand up to the United States and stand up to this country of origin labeling. We fought this at the World Trade Organization, and we had success. Now we're going to turn around and do the same thing? Bad idea. I don't even know how feasible this is. Once you got all kinds of different sources coming into refineries, uh, then being turned into gasoline, do you really know where everything came from in the first place? So the answer is not protectionist policies. The answer to is to ensure that there's Canadian supply then for these refineries. Refineries out east, no problem. Let's get Energy East done, for example. Let's focus on that. All right. As mentioned, Tim Owen, leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada, joins us after 1.30. Uh, more time for your calls, your texts as well at 403-974-8255. That's 974-TALK. My name is Rob Breckenridge. We're back with more right after this.
Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.